I'm Dave Minocco, the Alan Meyer Family Head of School at Parish Episcopal School. Welcome to the From My Angle podcast. In this edition of the From My Angle podcast, I continue with our look at the culture of learning and working at Parish. Having had Omari Hayes on in my last episode to share a student's perspective on life in the Parish Upper School, I'm excited in this episode to look at Parish through the lens of two of our faculty members. Parish's distinctive mission, oriented toward innovation and preparation of students for the complex global society, makes it a unique place to work for educators, many of whom have been asked to spend their days in heavily bureaucratic or change-averse environments frequently found in other school houses. So how do we find faculty members for whom a culture of innovation and dynamic thinking is the natural culture? What draws them to perish? How do faculty balance this demand for innovation and and the service to their families in the moment? How do we maintain morale and fight change fatigue? Kara Freeman and Marisa Gavio have come perished in the last five years. Kara is an upper school math instructor and oversees the creation of the upper school schedule each year. Marisa teaches math in the middle school and has been a leader in the development of the personalized math program we have initiated. In addition, both played lead roles in the creation of the schedule model that we tested back in November as part of our reimagined effort. I think you will enjoy this conversation with two talented educators and leaders on our campus about the work experience here at Parish. Marissa Gavio, Kara Freeman, welcome to the From My Angle podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to have you both here. These two uh, outstanding faculty members are here to talk to us today about reimagine and specifically about things that are happening in our math department. But we will also talk a little bit about the um, time pilot that we did before the holiday and uh, some of the lessons gleaned from that. We'll talk a little bit about the culture of parish. We've got a nice conversation in store. But let's start with introductions. So Marissa... Since you're middle school, then we'll move up to upper school along the progression. Tell us about uh, a little bit about your background, when you came to Parish, what you presently teach now. Sure. This is my fourth year at Parish and my 13th year of teaching overall. I have mostly a lower school background. I've taught kindergarten, third grade, fourth grade, and now fifth grade mathematics at Parish. I've taught um, in the public school for about half my time, and the other half is spent here at Parish and then at another independent school. And currently, I teach fifth grade math, and I'm also on the um, student engagement committee. Right, which is the committee that uh, has been looking over the last two and a half years at, at how we use time here on campus. And you've done quite a bit in terms of your own professional development around uh, your, uh, assistant principal, uh, your principal certification and I think are one who uh, aspires to school leadership in the future. So talk a little bit about, uh, about that and how you went about getting the certification and uh, the dimensions of that element of your, of your professional life. Sure. Um, I always knew, even when I was a first-year teacher, that someday I wanted to um, become an, enter the um, field of educational leadership. And so about four years ago, before I started working <coughs> at Parish, I earned a master's in educational leadership and my principal certification, but I just didn't quite feel ready to leave the classroom. So when the opportunity here at Parish arose, um, and I came in to interview, and um, Mr. Riven talked to me about the vision to change the math department into helping students to move at readiness and to have personalized pathways. That just really um, got me excited. And I knew that I just wasn't done in the classroom yet. So this has been um, just another goal of mine to 
practice, not practice, but to reshape a program and um, just to see what the possibilities are. Yeah, and you both represent for us the story of what we aspire for in our classroom, which are high capacity people who um, want to influence and impact the institution beyond what you do with the students every day, which is already substantial and significant. And we want to continue to cultivate that and uh, prepare you for whatever your next uh, course of journey may be, whether it's here or somewhere else. Uh, Kara? Yeah. Tell us about your, your background and what brought you to our Absolutely. upper school. Yeah, so I'm Kara Freeman. Um, this is my 11th year teaching math, fifth year at Parrish. So um, I always knew that I wanted to be a math teacher since I was in high school. Loved math. Um, thought that I was pretty good at explaining things. So um, I started teaching at Berkner High School in Richardson um, in 2008. Uh, taught um, everything from Algebra 1 to Calculus there. <coughs> and then um, sought out Parrish. This is my first, like, any uh, job or anything with a private school. Um, so it's been an amazing experience. Um, and I've enjoyed all the opportunities uh, that Parrish has given me. Yeah, we want to lean into that a little bit first in terms of like the culture of working at Parrish before mm -hmm. we get into Reimagine because mm -hmm. you both um, arrived in the same department, math. You both arrived at about the same time. The math department has been um, very much turned over uh, in and around the years mm -hmm. that you arrived. And when we hired um, you all, uh, Marissa referenced it uh, in specifics, uh, when we hired that faculty, we were very clear with the notion that, uh, among other things, we were looking to reimagine here. We wanted to think differently about uh, how we how we taught in the math classroom. But, you know, more generically than that, be, uh, comparative to the other places where you've worked, independent and public, uh, what are some elements, characteristics of the culture here that are different than the ones that you experience in those places. Kara, you want to start yeah, us with that? Yeah, sure. Oh, absolutely. I, at my previous school, um, I was math department head over a big department of about 25 faculty in a big public school. Um, and just what I saw there and just kind of seeing the restrictions that we had just with <clears throat> testing um, and just a lot of complacency from teachers and things like that. So uh, when I came to Parrish, uh, I really realized that this is a real freeing place. And so my first thought when I came here is I felt like I was free to teach. And that actually made me a better teacher mm. because releasing those boundaries, mm. I was able to really go above and beyond without having those walls. So I was very energized very empowered mm -hmm. um, by being here. I'm surrounded by um, co-workers who uh, collaborate with me even if they're not teaching the same topic we energize and feed off of each other mm -hmm. even beyond the math department yeah so that way. so liberating uh collegial yeah. i would say that is truly parish that is mm -hmm. also probably independent schools mm -hmm. versus public schools in mm -hmm. in general regardless of whether it's parish or another independent school right. market and so it's a good one what, what would you what do you think um, marissa i would agree with that um i it's especially in my public school experiences um, it was very structured and there was a lot of emphasis on the routines and the procedures that needed to all be the same and we all um, I was actually sharing this story the other day but my first year of teaching um, there were six of us on the team and I remember we had open classrooms so at the same time we were all saying the exact same things as we were teaching a lesson because we were basically reading off of a script and mm -hmm. for a first-year teacher that's nice but once you've you know had some experience especially for the type of person that I am I have so many ideas and um, there just really wasn't a lot of opportunity to be able to put your own style into things and you know all classrooms are different and you didn't have that 
flexibility to adjust to really meet the needs of the mm-hmm. students you were bound to time bound by time and um, just a lot of restraints so there was a lot of just I felt stifled and didn't really feel like I yeah. could do what I wanted yeah I get this question um, among the uh, um, among the most frequently asked of me I get this question which is essentially like how how are you finding people to come work within an environment that has such a unabashedly ambitious change initiative when it comes to thinking about how school works and it's the right question to ask and it's often asked by hiring um, individuals who spend a lot of time in corporate culture and Mm -hmm. so the best way for me to answer it is that what we've tried to create here and be very transparent in the hiring process Mm -hmm. in terms of like the conversations we have with an interviewee is like look if you're coming here to close your door and teach math with the same routines that you've taught previously a you probably shouldn't be sitting here in front of me as the head of school having the conversation you should have already been screened out which is mostly the case but i will still with every candidate y'all may remember it say Uh um like this is our culture we're going to be uh change change embracing it's going to be tiring and exhausting and Mm -hmm. sometimes perplexing in terms of the ambiguity as to where this is all going Mm -hmm. uh you've got to have a tolerance for that or you're going to be unhappy and we're going to have gears in our uh, sand in our gears of change, right? And so that's why I try to underscore that with everybody that comes. I, in the oversimplified parlance, you know, working at IBM and working at Google are, they're both great companies, mm-hmm. but the culture of working there is distinctly different. And we've mm-hmm. tried to go out and find people for whom our culture, more akin to a tech startup in its entrepreneurial disposition, is exciting, mm-hmm. cu- curiosity-provoking, stimulating in all the right exactly. ways. So yeah. that said, you, you, all can, you all can reflect to um, that cognizance and awareness as you went through the interview process, but maybe you can also talk to some of the lows of coming in and working in that environment now, four to five years in, like what are some of the challenges of working in that space? So Marissa, why don't you start on this one, some of the uh, highs and some of the lows of working in this type of corporate environment or school-based environment, work environment? Sure. I think, um, well, one of the challenges is there's really not a lot of models to go off of. So we're creating a lot of things. And, mm-hmm. and then with that, it's there is a, an element of trial and error. So there are things that I try, and it's funny because I was just thinking about the summer work and thinking about previous summer work. Some of the things that I've tried didn't quite work mm-hmm. out as well, so I mm-hmm. have to start over. And so there's just that. I'm I'm thankful that we're at a place where we have grace to fail mm-hmm. and it's okay. So yeah. you know, you don't have to dwell on that but so much. But it is realizing that you might have devoted hours to something and it didn't quite work, so now you have to try it again and it's just that constantly back and forth of going back to the drawing board. Yeah, that's a fantastic point and we have talked so much here at sort of the level that I sit and with uh people whose mentoring I seek. You know, schools have a really challenging um component. Most of the startups they can send their engineers or the, or their tech mavens over into a room somewhere where they can prototype and beta and they can pilot it in small focus groups or what have you, uh, new product lines or new uh, undertakings. For us, we're still trying to run school. So you're mm-hmm. referencing summer work and so many of our faculty are going into the quote unquote laboratory in the summer and advancing our vision forward. Uh, but at the end of the day, you've, you've got to bring it back and test it here. And so as you all well know, one of the uh, uh, um, not strident themes, but certainly present themes we've heard from our constituents, parent constituents, paying customers, is don't use my kid as a guinea pig. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not paying mm-hmm. $30,000 $30, for my kid to come here mm-hmm. and be as a guinea pig. Fair point. Well made. We understand it. And I would just, I would just suggest we are trying to be uh, um, 
fail safe for our faculty, like go ahead and we need to try. And we're trying to be empathetic and compassionate and responsible to our students because our evolution has to take place while business is still running. It's just the way that the model works. How about for you, Kara, reflections on the highs and lows of working in this uh, kind of culture? You know, as you were talking, it made me really think about exactly what I um, talk to my students when I'm Mm -hmm. teaching them, especially really difficult concepts. Um, I invite them, you know, we we hear this that phrase a lot, lean into the discomfort, mm-hmm. because I'm going to take them to a place that's beyond their comfort level, mm-hmm. that they may not want to go with me. Yep. Um, and I tell them that um, your level of understanding <clears throat> is, is here, and I'm going to take you here, and that gap there is uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, but I try to provide a place in my classroom that allows them to, they're not going to succeed at first, and they're going to struggle. But I think in that, by taking them in that discomfort, zone that you can make so many more rich gains that way and that's exactly what we're doing here Um, so allowing us to have that tension and have that discomfort um, if you're able to push through it like Mm -hmm. you said with with faculty if you're able to continue on um, you're able to make such a more rich um, experience um, for uh, the school so um, some of the other um, kind of tensions there is for me sometimes when we're asked to look at things or to reimagine and things like that um, for me it's hard because there's no real model to look at mm-hmm. and so I'm like okay tell me what to do tell me what to look at so there's <laughs> yeah. no like rigidness yes. but at the same time it's like I need something I, show I need me something boundaries. to yeah, yeah. so um, so that's a little daunting mm-hmm. while it's kind of like oh my goodness but it's like it's on me you know it's yeah. on us um, which is exciting but also daunting yeah so change management mm-hmm. is really about fear of loss and mm-hmm. so we've known our structures as teachers as administrators of schools we've known our structures and the notion that they may go away uh, provides a, a real unsettling uh, mm-hmm. sense of, of loss. It can threaten competence. So mm-hmm. I've done it that way and I've been mm-hmm. good at it. And if mm-hmm. I have to try right. to do it this way, right. I, I will fail right. and I'm not comfortable with that. Right. So we really have been trying to manage that um, really over the decade that I've been here, but most especially in these last several years as we've accelerated and tried to go to scale with some of our evolutions that we'll talk about a little bit later in the trip, uh, in the in the tape. But um, I do think the um, concern that I have sitting where I have is that we ask so much of you and just the daily grind of teaching is hard and then innovating on top of an already hard job is really kind of where you worry about the burn, you know, and faculty morale yeah. mm-hmm. and those types of things. And so I think the candid answer is we've got um, indices of all of that throughout the organization mm-hmm. and we just try to manage it the best we right. can. I mean, you all have reflections on fatigue, change fatigue. <laughs> Um, uh, you know, exhaustion, etc. Yeah. Well, I think the first thing is that you recognize it, <clears throat> mm-hmm. like just hearing that, yeah, yeah. and that that's recognized mm-hmm. by parish is already mm-hmm. like y'all already have so many things in place mm-hmm. by um, what is the fun squad right. that like all those little things add up yeah. and they really help me to see okay I'm, I'm being supported mm-hmm. okay mm-hmm. and and I think with any job there's always a danger of burnout mm-hmm. but I think that y'all are doing a really good job in recognizing mm-hmm. that and and valuing valuing your your faculty mm-hmm. yeah yeah I would agree I feel so valued here probably mm-hmm. more so than I've felt at any other school mm-hmm. and um, I was just thinking about the fun squad as mm-hmm. well. I think that those, they're such small things, right. but the smoothies in the afternoon, mm-hmm. but they really do help. Mm-hmm. And then the other piece that I have always valued, especially coming from public school, is the um, teacher planning time and conference time that mm-hmm. we have. It that That time just 
um, I can't even speak to the value of right. that because coming from a place where you maybe get 45 minutes a right. day, which is barely enough time to do anything yep. um, but catch your breath, it just is so alleviating. And then the summertime that we are compensated for as well, I just, um, I feel like we are asked, there is much that is asked of us, but we are also given so many resources to be able to fulfill that we're, as well. We're respected. Mm-hmm. We're respected. And I didn't yes. feel that at mm-hmm. my other school. I wasn't right. respected and, and mm-hmm. given, trusted yeah. with the responsibility, and I feel that here. Back to my earlier point, like where we found, you two being two cases in point, like where we found really great individuals to come and do this, perhaps surprising to uh, the constituents that might listen to this podcast, is um, there are so many bright, super creative um, talented public school educators oh, absolutely. who yes. are doing tremendous work on a daily basis in difficult conditions who reach mm-hmm. the points that you are reached where um, mm-hmm. essentially my capacity and potential as a transformational educator is being hindered by the bureaucracy of the system, mm-hmm. yes. uh, the constraints that are placed on me by end of grade testing or what have you. And so when we've been able to either by word of mouth of, of present employees who've reached out to individuals they know, which is mm-hmm. kind of your case, Marissa, mm-hmm. Um, you know, like th- just to say, hey, come and have a conversation with us. That's where we've really found um, mm-hmm. powerful uh, individuals to bring into our into our into our suite. Both of you have mentioned kind of the places where you've um, had both uh, formal and then I would actually say kind of your case, Kara, kind of like informal leadership opportunities presented to you. So again, like this is a big component of I think a, a healthy corporate uh, or school based culture is that. Um, you know, we've just named three division heads, all of whom who, came, who sort of came up through the ranks. Mm-hmm. This helps with change management and change stability. If you want to be able to do that, you've got to begin to um, spend a lot of time cultivating high capacity people like yourselves. Mm-hmm. In some cases, um, putting opportunities and potential in front of them they didn't even know they possessed. And, and putting them into uh, positions where they have what I call their own sandbox, like this mm-hmm. place that they can go and create with some autonomy and lack of micromanagement, mm-hmm. but ample mentoring, mm-hmm. um, something new, and that builds their confidence and it builds their skill set, and that's great for the organization. So talk about a couple of the places where the schools kind of come and tapped you on the shoulder and said, we see potential in you. Would you be interested in doing this for us right so you you want to start Marissa oh sure well the the two places for me um one is just within the math department I um when I sat in on my interview with Mr. Riven and Miss Whitman they specifically said that they were looking for someone to help guide the changes in the math department and they were very candid that they didn't really know what it would look like or how the changes would um, would implement and so I I took that and we began the rollout of um, merging honors math with the regulars math class it started in fifth grade and rolled up through um, sixth seventh and eighth and so that I, was just huge for me my very first year here I, mm-hmm. I started beta testing some ideas and then the second year we began the rollout program so that was um, it was very encouraging especially mm-hmm. because I um, I had I had just earned my principal certification and I was actually in the process of interviewing mm. at public schools for positions mm-hmm. outside of the classroom but they were very I was very discouraged mm-hmm. because I felt the focus was more on data analysis and spying on teachers mm-hmm. and making sure that mm-hmm. they were analyzing their data correctly mm-hmm. and filling out the proper forms and I felt so discouraged coming out of that interview compared to when I interviewed with Jay and Megan. I just, um, so that was huge. Yep. 
And then the second was um, with the student engagement committee mm-hmm. piloting the middle school portion of, or leading the pilot of the middle school portion that we just did. Um, there were a lot of challenges in that as well, yep. but I was I was really thankful for the opportunity to work with Kara and to come up with some prototype ideas and then also to help implement it once we actually got it going this December. Yeah, so the telling thing there before we switch over to Kara is that neither of those are titled. Mm-hmm. Right. And so in an organization, mm-hmm. you know, you have leaders that have titled positions. Mm-hmm. And I think in uh, sort of the analog model of corporate hierarchies and structures, those um, those titled leaders are seen as the uh, the center points of all things of influence and all decision makings and all visioning. And you just described how um, really a, a vision of the organization uh, really came to life through the implementation of your work in the classroom as a classroom mm-hmm. as a classroom teacher. And if you look at signature programs across our organization, Parish STEM, the Academy of Global Studies, the Leadership Institute in the Upper School, Parish Virtual, our summer blended program, those are all examples. Parish Bridge, those are all examples of institutional vision aligned with some core principles and values that drive who we are bestowed or handed over like a set of keys to a present faculty member of capacity and some curiosity and brought to life, as Kara said earlier, um, sort of in the sort of organic way that Parrish does it. Like you can't go find it anywhere else. Mm -hmm. We've developed it to fit here, but it's been done by people, you know, just like just like you. So I think that's a really powerful lesson around sort of leadership again in corporate culture. How about you, Kara? Talk about your work uh, around scheduling. Yeah. So after my first year, there was a need for a scheduling assistant. So I applied for the position. And uh, with my math department job previously, I'd done a lot of scheduling within the math department. So I knew that it kind of fit my skill set and it was something that I was interested in. Um, so then over time, I became the scheduler for the upper school. And that's what I've been doing for the last few years. Um, and I love it. Mm-hmm. It really, um, you know, after the end of the year, you're kind of okay, I need a break from teaching, and then my scheduling starts up, and it just, it feeds that other side of my brain. It, I, believe it or not, I can be creative with it, um, and it just, it's really fun for me to put that 4D puzzle together. Um, so with that, um, and it is like a sandbox, like mm-hmm. I have my own little room, That's and right. I, I go in there, mm-hmm. and I play, and it's, yep. it's a lot of fun. Yep. Um, so with that, I help out with um, course registration for the upper school students, um, and then also, uh, it was a natural fit that I would be on the student engagement um, committee and so did a lot of work as Marissa talked about for the uh, previous pilot in designing um, that and scheduling that. Yeah, great segue. So you know, we talk a little bit about a couple features of, of Reimagine Marissa's hit around the edges of one, which is uh, you know the pace, pacing that's been happening in a lot of areas of programming, most notably, I think, in math, um, but also this uh, testing of time. And so I guess by introduction, I would say of all the apparatus of school, you know, there are there are multiple ones. There is how we how we pocket curriculum, right? How we articulate it, how we package it. Uh, there's how we teach it. You know, in the old models, um, the curriculum was standard. Everybody moved along at the same pace. It was designed by the teacher. It had no input in terms of where the student wanted to go with it. Uh, All were tested at the same time. So how do we demonstrate mastery and assess that curriculum? So there's all those things that go around teaching and learning. But another big fundamental of... um, school and, and uh, apparatus of school is time, right? How long's the school year? 
school runs from right. you know uh, end of May to the at the end uh, the beginning of end of August to the end of May that's sort of how it uh, how it how it operates and they're divided into trimesters and days start at eight and end at three thirty and you have these are these these are basic basic fundamentals classes are forty five minutes or or longer we wanted to look at all of those and we wanted to do that however. Um, not from the lens of consultancy coming in and giving us some models from which to choose, but up from the experience of the user. So beginning three years ago, partnering with uh, our, our friends at, at, at Southern Methodist University, uh, we, we use the process called human-centered design, which has as its principles, you guys know, uh, but for the listener's sake, to really go in empathetically to the user experience, our faculty and staff who teach and work here every day, our students, of course, who learn here every day, and understand what the what the school day feels like to them, and the and the way to do this is to go spend time walking through classrooms with them, which we did uh, two and a half years ago, mm-hmm. to do focus grouping and interviewing, and then once you get that data, to begin to put some models together that uh, align with a set of principles that you said are of importance to you and we have done that and over the course of the last uh, year and a half or so have run a series of pilots uh, culminating in the one that uh, you all helped to design right before the holidays so before we talk about some of the features of that and the outcomes of it you two were central in actually taking what the student engagement committee said were the things we want to focus on and bringing them to life in the schedule, so tell us a little bit, Marissa, about that process. Like, once you get that data, what do you and Mar- what what do you and Kara go do to bring the prototypes uh, pilot schedule to life? Oh man, well, yeah. it was definitely there were some challenges, yeah. <laughs> and, and especially just because at first we were keeping um, middle school and upper school coupled, mm-hmm. and we just realized that even though we have a lot of crossover faculty that for this pilot it would be better to uncouple the two. Mm-hmm. And um, and so we ended up, originally we had very similar ideas, but then by the time we met with the committee and actually rolled it out, the two pilots were very, very different. Mm-hmm. But we were able to work out all the kinks to where the crossover faculty were able to do it. But even even a lot of what we came up with, we had some, Karen and I had some good ideas, but it wasn't until we brought it to the committee that I think it really came to life. And there were some things that we weren't seeing together that mm-hmm. we thought, oh, it's like with the ro- rotating blocks in middle school, yep. for example, we just could not figure out how that would work in an efficient and effective way. And then when we brought it to the committee, someone else had an idea. Yeah, right. Of, of so rotating. you all started so, last summer really trying to put a uh, uh, mm-hmm. some some pencil to paper and mm-hmm. moving all the puzzle pieces around the thousand the thousand puzzle puzzle piece <laughs> um, Kara some of the pieces that you knew the committee wanted to see reflected Absolutely. in these pilots what were some of the things that we wanted to test right based and get user feedback on mm-hmm. um, one of the biggest things I think that kind of drove it was <clears throat> flexibility and that was for from all constituents teachers um, students, the school schedule, special events, we wanted to provide more flexibility in a schedule because if we're trying to move towards um, you know, the personal pathways and, and more uh, differentiated instruction, we, we have to have a schedule that allows that flexibility. Um, so uh, we were looking at, you know, there's a lot of times special events that kind of throw off a day and so we're looking at, okay, how can we develop a schedule that can allow for a special event to easily come into it and not throw off the schedule. 
Um, how about uh, students who have to leave early in the upper school for athletics and they have to consistently miss their afternoon class? How can, might we maybe rotate classes so they're not always missing the same class? Or how might we alleviate the schedule so that they can leave early and not miss class? Mm -hmm. um, so those were some of the things that we were looking at to try to provide that flexibility. Also for teacher collaboration. I know Marissa mm -hmm. talked about that as something that in middle school that they have set in place, but not necessarily in the upper school. There's not a lot of times when and everybody who's teaching Algebra 2 can easily meet together, um, especially when we have so many other meetings and things going on. Um, so we provided time for that as well. Yep, teacher planning time, mm -hmm. rotating blocks, uh, flexible blocks, can be called kind of a C-Day model, which had mm -hmm. open open blocks throughout the course of the day, mm -hmm. um, some days with um, every class meeting every day, right. so we could right. see what it was like uh, for the Correct. user to experience at least some days in the schedule yeah. where they were there. We um, uh, piloted a testing center, mm -hmm. right, which would allow upper school students in particular to uh, go to a place and take a test when they were ready to take it uh, so that teachers could uh, open up instructional time in their classroom that otherwise was uh, dedicated to them essentially monitoring a test. Mm -hmm. and we wanted to see if there were more efficiencies to having a testing center. Mm -hmm. So a variety of things there. And I, I would suggest perhaps some lessons that we've learned um, is we've perhaps in our pilots tried to test too many things, mm -hmm. right? And so yeah. you all have been faced with this sort of conundrum of having to build uh, a schedule for three weeks that has features of all of those things. Right. And the end result for the user is that that pilot represents the, f the final schedule. Right. Rather than a series of features that we're that we're focusing on to see how they like them, they mm -hmm. see it as a they see it as a whole Correct. and mm -hmm. a composite, rather than a series of experiences that we're trying to guess uh, and and glean what their what their um, uh, reaction to them is. So this pilot, Marissa, went for three weeks, mm -hmm. essentially through the early part of um, December. Uh, it looked a little bit different in middle and upper school. When you think about uh, the kind of high-level summation of what uh, your uh, student body and faculty body in middle school had that they liked, maybe a couple things, and a couple things they didn't like, what would you identify? I think overall, a lot of things they did, they did like the rotating schedule. Um, Which would mean that, again, my math class in the afternoon might on the next day meet or in in the morning or two yes. days later on the if it was an A B but it's going to switch time of day when I experience that subject. Exactly, yeah. I think that that um, most of the um, the data showed that they did enjoy that. It was helpful, especially especially with math because it for most kids it's better in the mm -hmm. in the morning. Mm -hmm. So then those afternoon classes were able to experience that and right. um, the C days I think also were really well received by students and. The teachers, I think that the most challenging part was the um, was scheduling the students and helping to figure out where they can go because with you know fifth graders, for example, they can't manage themselves yet, and so we have to provide a lot more guidance and structure. And I also think that once we have a learning management system in place, which I know that that's a whole other mm -hmm. topic of conversation, that will ease some of the burdens that we had with having to do a lot of things manually. And C-Day essentially featured no definitive time starts and time starts, um, stops and starts during the portion of the day. So yes. where you and I and most of our listeners would, you know, class at English started at 8.05 and ended at 8.55 in our C-Day model, an alternative model, uh, much more unbounded 
and a much more voice and choice for the students to determine what they needed to work on during that time. Um, And so, you you know, again, some things that are really attractive about that, um, I think in both divisions, actually, um, but some things that are a little wonky Mm -hmm. and still and still need to be and still need to be smoothed out. Any big negatives uh, in the user experience or kind of consistent themes of negativity from adults or students that you'd highlight? Probably the biggest negative was just scheduling the students. For some teachers, um, I think it also depends on your skill set. Some people's brains just don't work as efficiently in that capacity, and so it was a lot more difficult for them to Mm -hmm. to schedule their advisees, and so that brought a lot of stress among the teachers. Um, And so that's where... um, you know, I tried to step up and help and provide extra guidance and extra support mm-hmm. and, and also reassure, again, in the real world, like if we actually implemented it this way, we there would be something in place For that sure. would take that burden yep. off. Yep. Um, as far as the students go, I think that we did, thinking back to the pilot we or the prototype we did a few years ago when we had a C-Day with not very much structure, mm-hmm. adding in the that structure mm-hmm. for the younger ones was really really helpful yeah. and although there were still some I think who probably didn't use their time as wisely as they could have mm-hmm. most of the kids did a really good job yeah. and they they really did enjoy um, looking back at the data a lot of them reported that they would like this once a week yeah even. Um, yeah to have that opportunity um, how about you Karen, in the upper school kind of the highs and lows of your your colleagues and, yeah and the so students? yeah so the upper school we had Monday and Friday all classes met and then Tuesday Wednesday Thursday one of the blocks met one of those days so if I had to put like an overall stamp on it I feel like um, kind of the big things that were talked about were the flex blocks which were were Tuesday Wednesday Thursday and then the Monday Fridays um, I, th- I think overall um, the flex blocks were enjoyed and, and uh, found a lot of benefit from that but that was almost faculty. three hours that was almost three yeah, hours it was really. a lot it was of kind time. of almost two the equivalent of two blocks basically yeah. yeah so um that's where you could put your special events that's where you could put a lot of different things so um i mean obviously there's still going to be some negatives with that but i think overall those were well received and then i feel like overall i think the mondays and fridays meeting class every day was kind of negatively received right um and something that is difficult to do is the reason why we were able to have the flex box is because we had yes. the Monday Monday, Friday, all classes meet. That was kind of the trade-off right. there. And you probably wouldn't have that feature in a schedule that ran all year, Correct. but having it in a compressed three-week right. uh, uh, pilot meant that that feature appeared more more Correct. regularly. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. And that, that's a really interesting thing. I um, It was, to a great degree, my desire to use the human-centered design model and so um you know i've had to i've had to weigh the the pros and cons of uh what is again like we couldn't have found another school that did this like they they Mm -hmm. don't this is not how it works in our industry you go get a consultant and they come in and they work a process and you get a new schedule the next year or two after the consultants have been with you so to work inside out was unique and there's much of it that i am glad we did but um, where we've had cost, I think, is at, at the very highest level of user feedback are um, those that have associated these pilots with reimagine and change in itself and have uh, it has diminished their interest in and, and their curiosity in what might be mm. because they were so frustrated by what happened. Right. And we did have students and faculty who were like, this three weeks, I like routine. I like it how Correct. it always is. <laughs> and this three weeks raised my anxiety and stressed me out. Right. And I, 
I don't know why we have to be looking at changing things, right? right? And so it, it just, it, it has in some ways retarded the conversation and the dreaming for some constituents yeah. and even the recognition that, guys, there's a healthier way to do upper school. Right. Like, there's a healthier way to do middle school. Yeah, I think the, school. like, that, that change, that sh- sudden shift and change, for some people and a lot of people, trumped the fact that we were trying something different. Exactly. And so that was the overarching feedback. Yep. And they couldn't even think about yeah right exactly and that's my earlier point around like mm-hmm. the startup culture like in a in a startup culture that three-week schedule would run over in a in an independent laboratory with with no ramifications for the user around right. you know yeah. their grades or you know how they feel on a given day and we can't test it that way here like mm-hmm. the only way we can really get the data back is to do it th- is to do it in this form and fashion. So, um, just interesting uh, phenomenon. So we are at the point now where we have gathered enough data. We think through these series of, of prototype schedules and pilot experiences that uh, really over the course of the next five years, this sort of the second half of of the reimagined vision, we're moving from kind of data gathering and conceptualization to implementation. And so, you know, if the listeners are curious, I think. Um, you know, there'll be a design team of faculty and and leadership that's going to be constituted here at the tail end of this school year, 2019, and really begins to go to work on um, how's the upper school going to look different in 2024 and the mm-hmm. middle school and the lower school and really start to put, uh, to your earlier point, Kara, some definable uh, site targets and sight lines mm-hmm. that become a little less ambiguous and a little less conceptual uh, as we move forward. Um, Marissa, just, uh, just briefly as we wrap up, like, um, uh, in middle school right now and in certain parts of upper school and definitely in certain elements of lower school, we have kids that are being um, uh, moved to work that is challenging where they need to be at that moment uh, in middle school. They see it in grammar. We see it in um, uh, in the, the spelling uh, program, vocabulary program. Uh, but the most uh, sort of public domain has been math, and you referenced this all the way back to your hiring. But uh, in general, how does your math class and how do most of the middle school classes look uh, different now than the math class you may have taught six years, seven years ago, and certainly the math class that you were a student in uh, when you were uh, in high school? I think one of the biggest things is that the kids now have more self-awareness. They really do um, take more charge of their learning and they're Um, I'm working to help them identify the areas that they need more practice on, but helping them to see too, like, oh, I don't understand this concept. And so as they're um, progressing at their own pace, there are teacher check-ins built along the way so that I can check their progress and make sure that they're truly learning the things that they need to learn, but they start to realize as well. And so there are times, especially now where we're at the end where they've been practicing this for quite a while, um, they catch themselves when they're not understanding something or when they are, and they're able to, you know, a lot of the students who have mastered something, they're able to move further ahead, which um, really builds their confidence. And it's not even just the um, high achieving students. There are students that at the beginning of the year might have struggled in a concept, but then when they come to a unit that they know and they're able to progress through it a little bit more quickly because it's something that they've mastered, it builds their confidence that they can see, okay, I can learn math. This is, you know, this is something that I can do. Um, 
And one component of the class is the digital instruction. And it was interesting yesterday, we were on a field trip and actually a parent stopped me and just said how much she appreciates the videos because she hears me at home and she's able to explain it to her child as well. And, and then one other student chimed in and said, yes, when, when you're sitting in a, in a classroom, you can't pause the teacher and rewind, <laughs> but I can pause you and rewind when I'm, when I'm having trouble understanding a concept. So there's, there's all these different components components to it but the but the main idea is that we want the students to learn the material as they're ready to learn it and everybody learns at a different pace and so and you have 14 units in fifth grade math or 12 seven well, units. you're seven i'm thinking maybe seven seventh units. i'm maybe yes. thinking seventh grade but so in fifth grade there are seven units which ostensibly means in your classroom some of the features or characteristics if you just walked in there you would see very little whole group instruction yep. you much more working with small groups or an individual student you would see some students who are uh, hearing you digitally as they went through a concept or a beauty concept you'd see students working through practice environments that are both paper-based and also technology driven but I, I i've been in your classroom i mean i you may find a student that's working on uh unit five and you might have another student who's working in unit three uh and part of the challenges and what we're coming to understand is how does one a, adult human teacher handle that <laughs> yes. and there are certain complexities to that that i don't think we fully answered uh, are we comfortable with the balance between human interaction and digital instruction it's a question that we're continuing to mm -hmm. assess and manage um, are we having enough collaborative work between students on math applied and performed, which is a big issue for me in our model that I still think uh, needs investigation. But when engagement is something that drives for us a lot of what we think good learning looks like, um, engagement comes in part by being in that Goldilocks zone, right? When work is too hard in your place of work or at school or too easy, your engagement level mm -hmm goes down when you are in a math class where the teacher is sitting up front going through problems that you knew yesterday and you're ready for the next set which is how most of us experience math that can be very de-energizing right so where i think we have succeeded to your point is that we have kids who are able to plug in and, and be where they are but some of these um challenges have worked their way you know because we've got to get ready for these kids now moving through a math program that right. continues work like this have moved into your upper school colleagues like as you look at this as an upper school teacher care like what are some of the um, anxieties or concerns or, qu or questions that are um, driving your evaluation of this type of model of instruction in the upper yeah. school um, Marissa and I actually talked about this um, a little bit because um, kind of the same thing with the pilot schedule and how some teachers or, or, or people are a little um, hesitant with it. Um, that's kind of, I realized that's what I was being kind of with this as well. Yeah. Because I think a lot of times when we have something that's coming in that's new, we make assumptions. Um, and we make assumptions like, oh, well, I'm just going to assume that this is what's going to happen yeah. and then not give it a chance. Yeah. Um, so I'm guilty of that. Yeah. And so that's something that I have to recognize and um, push forward and give it a chance. Yep. Um, so I think that's that's uh, definitely it can be a danger. Um, I also think that, um, again, kind of what I talked about before, there's really no great model like sitting there in front of us. Right. Here's the how to yep. manual of how to do it. Um, and so we can look at the middle school, but I also think, and as Marisa and I talked about, the needs of the middle school student and upper school student are different. For sure. Um, and talking about what's age appropriate. Yeah. And mm -hmm. so would my classroom in calculus look the same as the yeah. way Marissa's doing her fifth grade? Yeah, just a level, of, so. the 
level of, of the level of complexity of the right. math that you're teaching. So then, how does is, that is look? That, right? You know, if I I can look for her to her as a model, um, which would be a great model for how the classroom manages. Yep. But then, how am I going to tweak that to help it be more age appropriate or yeah. content appropriate? Yeah, all fair. And I, and I think again, part of what we want our audience of parents to know is that. We, we don't run into this with um, surety and certainty of right. of, of mm-hmm. being right, but a but an unabashed curiosity around how to how to move it in that direction with a certainty that uh, deep learning retention that is not just uh, memorization and regurgitation will mm-hmm. come through this level of engaged performance based um, assessment. Uh, engaged teaching experience and learning experience and then performative assessment of 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 mastery and so we want to keep pushing at the at the at the edges and i just told a parish a parent group this morning um we we also need to uh, implore our our community to understand that what's happening in math is not reimagined it's like re you know like it's only (laughs) one component of it like for us like there is a broader scale of development in terms of our time model our instructional model um, our sequencing of core of of, uh, of of units and courses, all these questions that again in this next five years of the reimagined journey are going to um, be designed and explored using the lessons learned mm-hmm. uh, over these uh, last several years. So it's going to be an exciting time uh, for us uh, going ahead. Probably just as um, challenging and exhausting at points as you guys have pointed out uh, today, but I think just as stimulating too. So um, thanks so much for um, yeah. Yeah, giving. Yeah. Um, our, our constituents of listeners uh, an understanding of what it's like to really be in the you know in, in the in the trenches here mm-hmm. uh, bringing this great program to life every day we appreciate your efforts thank you thank you thank you for listening to this edition of the from my angle podcast please share it with friends and colleagues in your network on my next episode I will shift our perspective for the month of May to the complex global society. We will talk diversity and inclusion with Dr. Kenneth Chapman, Director of Diversity and Inclusion at the Price School of Business at the University of Oklahoma. Next month, we will also talk about the changing world of work with Darla Whitaker, Senior Vice President for Human Resources at Texas Instruments and a parish parent. In the meantime, thank you for listening to the From My Angle podcast. <laughs>